We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. What if human beings aren't just thinking things? What if we're less driven by what we believe and more pulled towards what we long for? Maybe human beings are fundamentally lovers, that we are made to love God, to desire God, to hunger for what God desires for his world. And I think that changes the way we think about discipleship because we'll have to start thinking about the power of habit. The things that we do are also doing something to us. Friends, it's so good to be with you today. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just delighted that you're here on this Sunday as people gear up to go back to school, and as the summer kind of continues, at least in temperature, we're so glad you found a cool, dry place to hang out in this morning, and so thank you for being here today. If you want to take a moment to check in and let us know that you're here, uh, it helps us connect with you to connect with you uh, with whatever ministries are happening here at Branches and to invite you to be part of those things. We want to stay in touch with you, and so if you'll do that right now, it's a great way for you to know what's going on here in the life of branches. Again, we're so, so glad you're here. That voice, if you weren't here last week, that you hear on that video is James K.A. Smith. Uh, He's a philosopher and author, and he wrote this book called You Are What You Love. And from that book, we're doing a, a series to kind of dive into that idea that, as he said, you know, what we do is doing something to us, and what we do is shaped by what we love, our heart posture. It doesn't come simply from what we think, our opinions, our ideas. It comes from deep within of who we are, what we love, desire. And ultimately, as Jesus asked, what do we want? And last week, I kind of just raised the question. I didn't really give any super practical bits, but just to kind of have us raise the question, okay, what what do we love? What do we want? How do we audit ourselves to kind of tackle that question together? And of course, one of the most helpful binding metaphors of that audit, of that self-assessment, one helpful one for all of us, no matter what situation you're in, is to, unfortunately for some of us, think about our finances. Uh, And as I was thinking about this audit this week of like how we determine what we love and what we want, I started thinking about uh, this guy that I've become a, a little bit obsessed with, frankly. His name's Caleb Hammer. There's some pictures of him. The faces of Caleb, you know, uh, serious, frustrated, demanding, uh, and I've just become obsessed with him. Maybe if you're on TikTok, you've seen little clips of him on TikTok. The, here's the short pitch of Caleb Hammer. He's millennial Dave Ramsey who cusses, uh, and I've just found a lot of enjoyment and entertainment in him, but also, you know, helpful financial advice. The longer pitch is that Caleb, actually much like Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with him, was in a really precarious financial situation. And he was young and he had moved to Austin and he was trying to like get on his feet and sort everything out. And so he went to extreme measures, changed the patterns of his life, and is now out of that situation and financially free, he would say. So now what he does, similar to Dave Ramsey, though Dave Ramsey does the radio thing and you call in and you tell him, at your, you tell him your situation and he yells at you. Um, over the phone, Caleb does it in person. (laughs) But what you do in these videos, if you look them up on YouTube, they're like an hour or more long. You come to Caleb in Austin and you give him everything. Your bank statements, 
uh, your debts, their interest rates, uh, print them all out, and he marks them up like with a highlighter. And that colored highlighter is like, that's the bad stuff, that's the wasteful stuff. And he goes through it and he like, I mean, that middle picture, that's him most of the time. And he gets made fun of on the internet because the more frustrated and angry he becomes, the higher his voice gets. <laughs> and he's like, why would you do this? What are you doing? You know, and it's like going after him. And uh, I watched one the other day and uh, I just, I can say this, the guy that he was doing the audit of was just insufferable. <laughs> had an excuse for every purchase he ever made, had a, like a long story just to kind of like explain himself out of the bad decisions that he had made. And Caleb is just showing him like, look, like look at all the stuff that you did. And, and Caleb's philosophy and how this all ties together is like, I can look at your bank statement and tell you what you care about. I can look at these purchases you've made on a credit card that you swear you're trying to pay down, but you keep buying stuff on. This is what you really truly care about. When this guy that he was talking to was just making excuses after excuses after excuses, he was looking and he was like, look, all these charges at 7-Eleven, five or six dollars, can't be gas unless you're just like getting five dollars like twice a day, every day. <laughs> what is it? And he's like, taquitos, you know? He's going to the hot roller thing and getting taquitos like twice a day. And he's like, they're cheap, they're cheap. And he's like, you don't, they're not cheap for you, you know? No more taquitos. And the, the taquitos then in the conversation then became kind of a metaphor. Like now on his show, this is one from a while ago, now he calls wasteful spending taquitos. He's like, taquitos, 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 you know? But this guy in this episode, he's like, oh, come on, it's not that bad. And just like argumentative, I refuse, I refuse. And he's like, it's not about the taquitos. It's about like, the, they're a symptom of a problem. That like, you don't think that you have a problem. Like you don't think that buying these things, adding it up day after day, multiple times a day is going anywhere. And then it applies to all these other areas of your life, just this wasteful piled up spending. I, I can tell you care about your comfort of getting 7-Eleven taquitos more than you care about being financially free. And the same guy is like, oh, you know, I, I had a couple of job offers. He's unemployed at the time. And he's like, but I didn't take them because I didn't want to sell myself short. I'm like you don't have a job and you're eating taquitos every day. Like you're kind of already selling yourself short. Uh, and, and he was just trying to get him to see. He's like, I don't, I don't, the guy gets angry. He's like, I don't want to beat up on you, but I want you to see, like I can see what you care about. And I'm watching this and really, I think honestly, the reason I like watching this and it makes me feel better about my situation. <laughs> uh, but it's also like a really helpful binding metaphor to think about, oh, if you, if you were to look at this statement, you could tell this is what I care about. And it might be frightening and embarrassing even to look at it and say like, oh, I, I really care about this fast food place or I care about this thing that I buy every week. And I'm saying this from somebody who's like, I'm afraid to look at mine because <laughs> it would tell me. Because we get in these, these patterns and these habits as James Smith talks about and, and they start to form us. And we get there because we love something. We care about our comfort or convenience or whatever else over these other things. And then as we do them more, it doesn't make us reflect. It makes us formed into that idea even more. Well, I gotta do this. It makes us argumentative. We, we double down. And so in, in the, in the um, kind of church world, we have a, a word for this. Uh, the word is liturgy. Uh, literally the word means public works, or a lot of people say work of the people. And people, they do these works, they have these patterns, they buy their taquitos, and it does something to them. We have liturgy here at Branches every week, and maybe that, maybe that word is more familiar to those of you who were, who were brought up in maybe a more high church, traditional church family. 
but every church, Pentecostal and free to the highest of high church have liturgy, they have patterns they do, and it forms them and shapes them. We pray every week as Christy led us in prayer today. We come to the table every week and we say some, of the, some different words, but most of the time the same words, this liturgy, this pattern, because it forms us and shapes us to understand who God is. And then outside of these corporate liturgies that we do together, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, like the Lord's Prayer, the patterns of worship that we have every week that shape us and form us, we have personal ones too. Spiritual and non-spiritual Ones that, okay, maybe your liturgy is the first thing you do when you wake up is to look at your phone and see what next awful thing has happened. (laughs) Or maybe the first thing you do in the morning is to pray. Good job. (laughs) Or maybe the first thing you do in the morning is to say hello to your spouse or to feed your dog. You get in these patterns and they form you and shape you and then you become that person who does that thing. And they're not just spiritual either. They're not just corporately spiritual. They're also corporate in that they, they tell you a little bit, bit about who you are. And, and, and since I've moved to Texas, I've learned all these different liturgies. Not, I've not participated in them and I refuse to, but these, these, these liturgies of people who the, the schools that they went to, the like gigum thing, that's a liturgy. And it is likely close to a religion. <laughs> and you can identify their adherents pretty easily. <laughs> And we have one in Arkansas too. Uh, you go to a concert, and I find it kind of obnoxious. In Arkansas, you go to a concert, and while you're waiting for the band, the hooligans call the hogs. <laughs> Woo, pig suey. Carrie just made a face. You not know what calling the hogs is? All right, you're about to learn. <laughs> uh, some of you know, calling the hogs, the Arkansas Razorbacks, it's this cheer they do, and they go, we're not gonna do it. I'm just gonna tell you what it is. Uh, this is in the place. You say, woo, and then everybody goes, pig suey, and they do it three times, and then pig suey, razorbacks. It forms you and shapes you into an obnoxious concert goer. (laughs) Um, I think the liturgy, and I say this as a fan, I think the liturgy now should be, woo, inevitable disappointment. You know, like, uh, that forms us and shapes us. Our experience of the razorbacks, it was like they're good at baseball and kind of basketball, and that's about it these days. Uh, But it forms us and shapes us. You, whether you know it or not, have liturgies. You have patterns you abide by. You have patterns that have formed you and shaped you and presently in this moment are shaping you and forming you. If we look in 1 John, which is the text that we're reading from today, we come onto a community that they're being asked to live a particular liturgy, a particular work, a particular pattern. And that's what we're reading from today. We're in 1 John 4. Uh, and we're starting in verse 16, kind of midway through verse 16. So this is what 1 John 4, 16 has to say. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. It's formation. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Liturgy, you just did it. I just made you do it. <laughs> that we say something about God's word. We say God is, is saying something to us. And in, in 1 John, we're getting a particular message and we're saying, this isn't just instruction from Colin or from branches from other person. Like this is instruction from God in Jesus Christ. So a little background about this community that heard this instruction to love one another and to love their brothers and sisters and to love their neighbors and to love their enemies is these letters, if you look, it's confusing if you're new to the Bible and I'm not, I'm newish to the Bible, maybe in the grand scheme of things, it's still confusing to me that there's John, this is John's gospel, the story of Jesus, and then there's first, second, and third John. I was like, why isn't John's gospel first John? Anyway, confusing. If it has a number before it, it's first, second, or third John. And then these letters written to this early Christian community, second and third John are like really instructive and they're rather short. There's been like in this early Christian community some sort of discord where people have left the community, people are critical of the community, and he's essentially telling them like, stand strong, you're in the, you're in the Christian faith, you're gonna hear people like be combative towards you, lean into love, lean into love as Jesus taught you, he keeps pointing back to the past. But first John, it's the longest one, is, is kind of a sermon. And he's pointing to this community and he's saying, love is the, the center point, love is the centerpiece of your life, and abide in it. Uh, that's one of our core values at Branch, is abiding. It means to, to stick to, to stay with, to root yourself in. Root yourself in love. And it's all centered around this picture of who Jesus is as the embodiment of God and this God who is love. So, so in this sermon, in this portion that we read today that points us back to love in God, in Jesus, is this idea that love is never alien from or disconnected from God. That any love you experience or practice or invite people to is from and is originated and, is, and held in existence by God. He goes as far as to say, radically uh, to, to some point to say, if, you, if you've experienced love at all, that to, to dive into love, if you don't know who God is, will eventually lead you to God. That if you abide in love, then eventually you'll abide and you'll stick to God. Because anything that could properly, properly be called love is from and rooted in God. Other thing to know about, about 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is we're not quite sure who the author is. Um, uh, somewhat anonymous, though uh, John the Elder is, uh, or the eldest, is the, the name given to this author. And it could be the disciple that Jesus loved in John's gospel or another one of his disciples named John. But these letters, these sermons that were written to this community, they're all pointing back to actually teachings within John's gospel. John 13 through 17 in particular, where Jesus is, is leaving the community. He's, he's, they don't quite know it yet, but he's about to leave. He's gonna be crucified and rise from the dead. And he's saying, okay, before I leave, it's like a, a parent leaving their 16-year-old child at home alone for the first time. Like, feed the dog, water the plants, do all the things that I would do if I were here. Jesus is giving those instructions. And John, in 1 John, is pointing back to that pattern. He's pointing back to a liturgy. He's pointing back to a practice. He's pointing back to something they're centering their lives upon. And what they're centering their lives upon is this, love one another. And when you love one another, people will know who you are and to whom you belong. This continuity from the way you conduct yourself in love is a liturgy, it's a pattern, it's a practice, it's a habit 
then you can look kind of like Caleb Hammer does with those finances, like your, your, your account of love, look down the transactions you've made, and that pattern shapes you into a person who is, who is becoming love, who, one who looks like Jesus, one who's the embodied form of the God who is love. That's the pattern that he's giving to these people that are reading this. And so just to kind of boil it down, to really, to, to really make it specific and concrete, because love is not abstract for John. Love is attached to a person, and then also not just to Jesus, but attached to every person in the community. Some concrete things about what this love looks like, because we could call any old thing love. <laughs> but based on John's gospel and based on these letters, here's what love is. The first one I'd say is love is embarrassing. And in John's gospel, when the disciples met on the last night of Jesus' discipleship life with his disciples, they didn't come to the table as they did in the other gospels. They washed one another's feet. So everybody take off your shoes and turn to your neighbor, you know. Some churches, that, that is their, their uh, ordinance, is that they're gonna wash one another's feet. And just think about it. I mean, the, the chuckle lets me know, like, it's embarrassing, it's vulnerable, it's open. Love is embarrassing because, because it shows something of yourself to somebody that, that we're kind of told we shouldn't show other people. It gives of yourself, it humbles yourself. You kneel down and you wash somebody else's dirt on their feet, it's, it's embarrassing. And in your romantic relationships or your friendships or any loving relationship you're a part of, you can identify a moment, and I would love to hear the story where you just flat out embarrassed yourself because of your motivation to love but not just romantically or in friendship, but in service to others, you embarrass yourself. You say like, I'm gonna stoop to the place where no one else dares to go. I'm gonna give of myself so much that I'd be embarrassed to share how much I had given of myself. Love is embarrassing. Love is also, as we see in 1 John, justifying. It changes relationships. When you practice this pattern, this liturgy of love, it changes how God sees you and how you see yourself and how others see you. It justifies, it changes your status before another person. Love makes you into a different identifiable person, First John wants to say. Love is courageous. We sang together today, you make me brave. God doesn't make us brave by making us physically stronger and intimidating. God makes us brave by humbling us and making us like him who, who though he was the very form of God took on the form of a servant makes us brave, makes us courageous to, as our second core value states, to step out and be daring to and for the world, to invite people into community where we embarrass ourselves with love, to invite people into a, a community where we give of ourselves so much that to the outside world it seems foolish, we're fools together, it's a courageous thing to do in the face of a world that, that says, you know, the only use of power is to the end of more success and more attention and Jesus says, actually, the only use of power is to the end of love, of self-giving, sacrificial love. That's the liturgy. That's the pattern. That's the invitation that we're given. Brennan Manning, some of you may know him, wrote this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And this is really the root of how we can then get into a, a liturgy of love, a practice of love, a pattern of love. He says, you cannot share in someone else's belovedness unless you know your own belovedness. That to love another person, you first have to know that you are loved. And that's what John reminds his readers in 1 John. And that's what Jesus reminds his disciples in John 13 through 17 before he leaves the earth. 
And that's what the church has been trying to remind people, not just in the church, but everywhere for centuries about their identity is that first, as First John says, you love because God first loved you. That you can share love with other people only if you recognize, you can only truly give self-sacrificial love to another if you recognize in and of yourself that you in God's sight are loved. And it's not soft hallmark love. It's embarrassing, foot-washing, self-giving, ultimately, ultimately sacrificial cross-shaped love. That's the pattern of your life. And as you practice ways of love, of giving, of service, of charity, you will become a person of love who reflects the love of Jesus. And so if that's the first step to to practice liturgies of love, if we first have to know our belovedness, we have to not just understand how God sees us, but we have to accept it. We have to say in the face of our doubt, does God really love me and care about me? Yes. And because that is so, I can tell others that the same is true of them to the same degree forever. And uh, Matthew Paul Turner used to have this like famous Twitter account uh, called Jesus Needs New PR. Uh, And it was essentially like posting images of like churches and Christians behaving badly, of which if you're not aware, there is plenty. Uh, And he would share these things and it was kind of like a jokey thing. And now he's like a photographer and he writes children's books, but he has two uh, sons and a daughter. And he told a story of one of his sons when his son was really young, like three or four years old. And they had taken him to the zoo or something. And he cried and screamed and was defiant and mean and punched and kicked and wouldn't do anything his parents told him. And it was like the worst day of their lives. Like, why did we do this? Why did we take him outside? And Matthew Paul Turner and his wife took the kids home. They were doing their prayers. He was putting him into bed and it was like doing everything not to be like, what's wrong with you? Like shake him, you know, like let's not do this tomorrow. And as he tucked him into bed, his son said, Today was a really good day, Dad. <laughs> it's like, you little jerk. No, it wasn't, but you know. <laughs> he says in that moment, he said, for a split second, I caught a glimpse of how God sees me. Kicking and screaming, defiant, abusive, whatever else, whatever things I just can't let go of. And in that moment, his heart swelled with love for his son and he hugged him and he said, it was a really good day. And he never forgot it pattern of love that the next time his son acted that way, he could see, maybe if just for a second, (laughs) I love him, I care for him, and that's how God sees me. When we pull up our accounts, when we look at the ways that we've treated one another, we think of the ways we've invited other people into community, and we, we start to see the things that we care about, the way that we spent our time, the way we've expended our energy on other people or for ourselves. And this isn't to like, Judge, this is, this is self-reflection, this is looking inwardly, this is not to be like, how have you been using your accounts? This is to say, look inside and, and know from the first, before you even start to look through that statement, you're loved, you are beloved, you are seen, you're cared for, you're acknowledged, and so much so that the one who is loved did not want to remain distant from you, but took on flesh as a lover, love in and of himself in Jesus Christ to be with you. And from that created a community of people to also be lovers of each other and of their cities, of their neighborhoods, of the world. So that other people would experience not a threatening God, not an angry God, not a mean parent God, but a God who is always, always has been, always will be love. And he invites you to live it, to practice it, to share it 
with who you are, what you say, where you go, how you speak, so that other people can know that. Let us be love, people of love together. Let branches be a place that is filled with, that is patterned by, that is a liturgy of love. Let's do it together. Let's pray. God who is love, thank you for loving us. Thank you for setting a table of love. Thank you by your spirit of filling us with your love. Thank you for inviting us to it that we might love others, to seek out justice where there's injustice, to lift up the lowly, to drive out oppression, to care for the needy, to look in the places no one else will look, to give self-sacrificially, foolishly of ourselves, to be embarrassed of how much we love others. Help us to be people of love, to look like you, whatever means necessary, from this table, from the songs we sing, the prayers that we pray, to be love. Ask all of this in your name. Amen.